uh, chapter 1, we're starting in verse 1, and uh, hear the word of the Lord. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt uh, with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of uh, Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they uh, multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your holy word uh, that speaks truth to us. Give us ears to hear the words you have for us. Challenge us. Encourage us. Speak uh, words of grace and give us hearts of faith and obedience as we hear what you have to say to us. We ask in Christ's mighty name. Amen. All right, i got to fly. Chasing me around up here. Okay. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we're beginning this morning a new sermon series. On, uh-oh, it's on my forehead. That's going to bother me. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> Persevere. Ignore the fly. Exodus. Okay. We're beginning a new sermon series on the book of Exodus this morning. And I mo- some of the longer books, like Exodus, that we study as a church, we break into uh, chunks. And we're going to be doing one big chunk over the next seven months of Exodus up through Exodus uh, chapter 18. And um, I'd like to, this morning, just uh, use these opening verses of Exodus, just kind of give an introduction to the book and what Exodus is about. And if you're, many of you are probably familiar with the story of Exodus, which tells about God's great deliverance of the people of a whole nation of Israel out of slavery. They're slaves in Egypt, and he delivers them. And, you know, there's many famous aspects to uh, the book of Exodus. You know, there's the ten plagues and Moses' exchange with Pharaoh and, you know, the great deliverance through the Red Sea where Israel is, is trapped at the Red Sea and they got the Egyptian army coming behind them and God separates the Red Sea and there's these walls of water on both sides and they pass through the waters and then the army comes in behind them and the, the Lord has the, the sea crash in on the army and the Lord delivers his people. And, uh, and then so they go and they're wandering around the wilderness for three months and God gives them bread from heaven called manna that they eat and then there's water that comes out of a rock and he gives them water and then finally they come to Mount Sinai where Moses goes up on this mountain and meets with God and God basically says, okay, 
I've just delivered you from this nation. I've rescued you. I'm your new king, and I'm going to rule you, and here's my law that I'm going to give to you that you're going to live under. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. That's where we get the Ten Commandments. And then he also gives them this detailed instructions about building a tent called the tabernacle. And because Israel is wandering around the wilderness, and they all live in tents, and God says, you know, I'm your king. I'm going to live among you. You all live in tents. I'm going to live in a tent too. And so he builds the tent, and, and the great ending to Exodus is the glory of the Lord comes, and he dwells in their midst, in the midst of the tabernacle. And um, that's the story. That's the story of the Exodus. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, you maybe recognize a number of those things, the Ten Plagues or Moses or, or the Ten Commandments. And uh, the reason why we're familiar with these things is because Exodus is so... Uh, memorable and it touches on many of the deepest aspects of being human you know it talks about the oppressed crying out to God for help and he hears them it talks about slavery it talks about racism there's all kinds of uh, interesting psychological things happening with the characters you know if you know Pharaoh when he's confronted with Moses he Moses says you need to let God's people go and Pharaoh says okay let him go and then he's his heart is hardened and then he says no I'm not going to let him go and then he lets him go and he's, like, he's back and forth fascinating guy and then also Moses who's the hero you know who's going to be leading God's people he tells the Lord over and over I am not the right guy I don't know how to speak well and he, he shows kind of his frailty as a human and God says no you're the one I'm going to be with you and so there's all these things that that we connect with very deeply in in the the book of Exodus but you know a number of commentators have said that there's one theme that kind of ties together the whole book of Exodus and that theme is that God wants people wants us to know him. God does all these acts in the world so people know him. You know, that's what he says over and over to Moses about Pharaoh. He says, I want, I'm, Pharaoh is going to know who I am, that I'm the Lord. And um, God has a mission that those who do not know him would come to know him through his acts in the world. God has a mission. And this is the main message of the Bible. The Bible is about God's mission in the world for people who do not know him to come to know him again, to return to him. That's the main message of Exodus. Is, um, and that's why we're all here this morning. God was determined that we would know him. And so he's bid us to come here. He's brought us here to hear from him and to tell us about who he is. And so I'm thankful that we get to talk about this topic about God's mission in the world as we dedicate our building this morning, that that's the purpose of this building, that's the purpose of this community, is to be participants, to be first recipients and then participants in the great mission that God is doing in the world. And so, this morning, introduction to the book of Exodus, I want to highlight three aspects of God's mission that's revealed in the Bible, but particularly in this text. The who of God's mission, who's it targeting, the how of God's mission. The way he goes about bringing his mission to the world is, is very different than, it, than uh, other human kind of projects and visions for the world. And then the third thing is the why of God's mission, okay? So the, the who, the how, and the why. And the first is this, the who of God's mission. Who is the target of God's mission according to this text? Who does God want to know him? 
this passage has two interesting answers to that. Okay? The first is that the target of God's mission is children. And you'll notice that the book begins by talking about a family. This is the opening words. See what it says in verse 1? These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, uh, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, uh, Gad, and, uh, and, and Asher. The story that we're reading about in Exodus is a story about a family. And, you know, actually one of the most important questions that you can ask you when you say, what is a book of the Bible about? What was, what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of Exodus? One of the ways of answering that question is to ask, well, who is the original author? Who wrote Exodus? And who is he writing it to? Why did he write it? What was the purpose? And the book of Exodus was written by Moses. And it was written to, the, you know, how I mentioned that after Israel came out of Egypt and they were slaves, they were delivered from slavery, they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness before they went into the promised land. And during that time, the, gen the generation that had been slaves in Egypt, they all died. And it was their children who were going to go into the promised land. And so Moses wrote Exodus to those, that next generation so that the children, the next generation, would know who God was and the things that he'd done and so that they could teach, the older generation could teach the younger generation, this is who your God is. That's Moses' intent, is to, for children, the next generation, know who God is. And you'll notice this also, look at verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, if you know the Bible, what does that verse remind you of? The first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, God makes humanity, and he says, he makes them after his own image, and then he blesses them, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. So God makes humanity, we're like these angled mirrors that are supposed to reflect to the world God's character. That's what it means to be made after God's image. You show the world what God is like so the world would know who God is through us. And then he says, I want you to have children who you disciple and then fill the earth with people who reflect the goodness and generosity and kindness and patience and joy of God and so that the world is filled with God's glory. That was God's original purpose, God's original mission. When God made the world, he had a mission. The mission hasn't changed. His purpose is still to fill the earth, to fill Bellingham, to fill Whatcom County with people who reflect God's glory and reflect who he is. And one of the main ways that we do that is by having children and discipling them. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons when you come around here, you get, there's children running around everywhere, is that's, that's something we believe in. That's the central part of, of God's mission. Which, by the way, is also to say, your mom or a dad or a grandparent and, you know, or an older brother or sister, and you're, you know, helping feed children, teach children, play with children, love children. And you might think, man, that takes up a lot of my time <laughs> caring for your children. I should be doing more ministry. I should be serving God out in the world. That's not what this text says. That's not what the Bible says. The first target of God's mission is these children, that they would know him. That is God's mission. You are on mission. You are doing ministry by doing that work. That was God's mission from the beginning. So the first target of God's mission is children. 
the next generation. But you may hear that and say, you know, that's too narrow of a mission. You know, to think God chooses his special people, Israel in the Old Testament, now Christians say we're God's special people, and that we're supposed to focus on our families and our children. And, you know, doesn't that seem too narrow? Well, one commentator I read was saying that actually the purpose of the book of Exodus, it wasn't just written to the next generation. There was another group of people that it was written for. And he said that, uh, you know, when Israel, all the ten plagues came on the Egyptians, and Israel goes through the Red Sea and they're leaving, there were some Egyptians who said, you know what, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with them. They, their gods clearly more powerful than our gods. We're going to join them. And he said there would have been a whole population of Egyptians who would have just left with Israel and say, we're, we're signing up with you. We believe in your God. You know, we're convinced that he's the true God. We've come to know him through all the things that he's done. And so Exodus was also written for them, people that were outsiders. They were foreigners from another nation that God was bringing in. And so that's the second target of God's mission is not just the children, the, those in they're part of our families, part of the family, but those who are out, the nations, the, the people that are outside. And you know, something you can't see in the English translation of Exodus, Exodus is written in Hebrew, is that the first word of the book of Exodus is and. So actually, verse 1 literally reads, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. And you think, you know, it's kind of a strange way to start a book with and. And what? You know, what was before that? And obviously Moses is saying, this is a continuation. of. The, you, I'm assuming you read Genesis first, and now I'm continuing the story of Genesis. And if you go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis is largely about Abraham's family. God chooses Abraham and calls him. He was a idol, worshiping idols, and he says, I want you to leave worshiping idols. I'm going to bring you to this land. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to make your family great. I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And he says to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will find blessing. Very important verse in the Bible, which says that God chooses people, chooses Israel, chose you and me, not for our sake, but for the sake of the life of the world. That was his vision. That's his project. And it is this immense vision that God has to bring his blessing to all ethnic groups, to every tongue, to every tribe, to every family. It's an incredible vision. And you can see in this passage that God has this chosen family that he's working through and he wants to teach them. And he puts them right in the middle of a foreign nation. You notice the mention of Egypt right in the beginning of the book, right? Verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. Then down in verse 5, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. There's this focus on this foreign nation. Actually, that number 70, you know, 70, if you read the book of Genesis, you find out that's a symbolic number that in Genesis 10, there were seven, 70 nations of the world that are listed in Genesis 10. So 70 represents all the nations of the world. It says Israel's not just this separate nation. from; They are a representative of all the nations of the world. They exist for the sake of the nations of the world. So what does that mean for us? you what that means for us as a congregation is that there is going to be a real tension in our life together 
Because on the one end, there's going to be some of you who are going to say, you know what, we need to teach our children. We need to have healthy families, healthy marriages. You're going to be thinking in that we're healthy. You know, we have a school. Our church started a school. And the reason we started a school is not just so we have a private school for our kids. It is because it is essential to the mission that we are doing. It's an essential part of the mission that, that our children know God and go out into the world with the knowledge of who God is and loving their neighbors the way God, God had loved them. But then there's also going to be some of us among us that say, listen, we can't just focus on our children and our families and turn into this uh, insular community that never connects with those outside. God's not calling us to do that. You're right. This text says that. God took them and put them in Egypt. And he's going to send us out of these walls, out of these communities. And he's going to send us people like Kate to like make sure we go knock on the neighbor's door and and talk to our neighbors. And that's what he's going to do. And we need both of those. And I think it's important for us to recognize that both aspects are essential to our mission. Okay? So first, who, the who of God's mission, who's the target? Targets the children in, the nations out. Both are both are important. Okay? And, but this, the Bible begins with really a massive vision for God to save the world, a world that is lost. And so that leads to a second point from this text, not just the who of God's mission, but the how of God's mission. How does God go about doing his mission in the world? And um, this is, you know, this is an important piece because... We realize, wow, we're a part of a global mission that God is doing. Of course, you know, there are billions of Christians in the world. I mean, God's mission has really been fruitful in many ways in every nation. And when Christians talk about God's mission, there can be a temptation to triumphalism. You know, that God's going to save all the nations. We're a part of the winning team, right? Our religion is the right one, and it's going to win. It's going to conquer all the other religions. And um, there is a general problem whenever someone has a plan to fix the world. We could, we could have that temptation. There's a problem. You know, uh, in the 19th century, many of the Western con- countries were experiencing a tremendous amount of wealth and prosperity. Uh, you know, as kind of the in, uh, Industrial Revolution was, you know, was taking root in the, the fruit of science. And so many Western, Western nations like, you know, England and the Netherlands and France went around the world and they said, you know what, we are wealthy and we are going to bring our civilization to all the nations of the world and we're going to enter into a time of utopia where the whole world experiences peace and prosperity. You know, and they had this big millennial vision. And actually, if you know the history of uh, colonialism where the Western cultures tried to bring Western civilization and impose it on people that maybe weren't ready for a civilization like that, or maybe there were problems with that civilization, it's largely hurt people more than, than helped them. And we thought we were going to save the world, and it, did, it didn't work. Or in the 20th century, you know, communism was a, a vision to have a utopia of brotherhood throughout the world where wealth would be shared and we'd all serve one another and we'd all be part of one huge family and an incredible amount of violence and injustice done through that movement of this vision of like, we're going to fix the world. And of course, you know, in the 21st century, we, we see some of that of, of we have tried to bring democracy to certain parts of the world. We say, you know, we can fix this broken world and we're going to bring democracy and we're going to make it right. And again, you know, it started in wars and, uh, and, 
in many ways has hurt nations more than, than helped nations. And these are all triumphal attempts for man to save or fix or bless the nations of the world. And generally speaking, they've done more damage than good. And so how, this is the thing. The how of God's mission of the Bible is never a pure triumphalism. The path to victory is always death and resurrection. It's death and resurrection. And, you know, we are not going to fix the world. We must first share and experience the brokenness of the world with the broken of the world. That's the path. And you can see that that's how Exodus begins. Look at verse 8, what it says in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. Wait, side note on Pithom and Ramses. You know, you should know, some of you, when you come to a book like Exodus, where it's got these ten plagues and, and the parting of the Red Sea, you might think, you know, this is a fairy tale. Aren't we reading a fairy tale? Pithom and Ramses have been dug up. And we know that they were rebuilt by slaves in the 13th century under Ramses II. These are real places. The places that we're talking about, these are real people that have happened in history. And we know that these were cities that were built by slaves. So, I mean, it's important for us to realize that these are, this story of Exodus is about God's acts in history. God's acts in his world. And so uh, that's important to keep in mind. But picking up in verse 13, this is what it says. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field, and all, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Just reading that, you hear over and over again, work, work, ruthless, slaves, harsh. It's just the repetition of the words gives you the sense that God has taken his people, who are the light of the world, the people through whom God is going to bring blessings to the nations, and they're not victoriously bringing civilization or democracy to the world, they are slaves surprising and shocking. The crucial truth about God's mission and, and the how of God's kingdom is that the path to know God and to help others know God is through a path of suffering. That is how people come to know God. That is how we serve God, is through a path of suffering. This is the mission we're a part of. And some of you might hear that and you say, well, that sounds depressing. I'm going to be a part of a mission. It's not victorious triumphalism, but it's a path of suffering. Well, remember that it's, it's both death and resurrection. And you see, even, you see that even in this passage where it's listing, wow, they're made slaves, but what does it say in verse 12 about Israel and Egypt? But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. This is just a classic statement of how God's kingdom works, is that God's people are in a place where they're being oppressed, or the church goes somewhere where they're persecuted, and people are being killed, and what happens? 
the church grows. I mean, those are the places that the church grows. The completely upside-down nature of God's kingdom, that's the way it works. And this has been true throughout history. You know, you look at the, um, uh, the book of Genesis, right? Before this, it tells the story of Jacob, who's one of the patriarchs. And Jacob lies to his, uh, lies to his father, tricks his brother into getting his, his father's blessing, and his brother Esau wants to kill him. So Jacob it, it becomes homeless, and he has to run away from home, and then he becomes a slave under his uncle Laban, he goes into exile, and then he comes back, and he has this restored family, and he, he becomes the father of this great nation with these 12 tribes of Israel. Or, you know, the story of David, David, who became the king. He initially, his, his father-in-law wanted to kill him, and so he had to run away, and he had to go live among the Philistines. He's sent into exile, and then he's brought back, and he becomes one of the great, the great king of Israel. And, of course, our Lord Jesus this is the path of his kingdom that he must bear the cross. He must suffer on the cross to reach resurrection and to bring salvation and new life to all people and to open the kingdom to all people. And this is true of our individual lives as well. You know, many of us, we become Christians and we say, you know, God is offering me an abundant new life. He is. He's going to teach you what it is to love to love him, to know him. He's going to teach you what deep joy is. But that path is always a path of death and resurrection. And many of us can say, I see how I had to go through cross before I learned what joy was. Some of you are in that cross now. And it's with hope in a resurrection that is coming. We understand that this is the nature of God's kingdom. This is the nature of God's kingdom. This is how God shows us who he is. It's through that path. That's the how of God's mission. And I think as a people who are participating in God's mission, we're all a part of this mission for the nations to know who God is. We have to prepare ourselves and embrace that this is the path. I know it's going to be a path. I'm not afraid of the path that it's death and resurrection. And the reason this is important is because is, um, as we, as God's people, bring hope to the nations, bring blessing to the nations, we do not do that from a place of power and confidence and expertise, but from a place of weakness and a place of humility. Okay? So that's the nature of God's mission. And so this is what we've seen so far, is that God's mission has the inside aspect to the children, the next generation, the building of families with God's, God's people. And an outward aspect as well, is God is going to all ethnic groups, all different kinds of people and welcoming them in, and the how is always a path of the cross and resurrection. But now we come to the last aspect, which we could call the why of God's mission. Why is God's mission so important? And, you know, I think one of the most important questions, whether you, if you're here as a Christian or you're not a Christian, that we have to ask about our world is what's wrong with the world? Why does humanity not work right? Why don't I work right? Why don't I know how to get along with people? Why does humanity not know how to get along with each other? And the answer is not that we need a new kind of government or a new kind of civilization that will fix us. But the Bible tells us that our big problem is that we do not know our Creator the one for whom we were made and the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And so that by nature we are lost 
And you know, one of the verses that really struck me in this passage this week was verse 8, where it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Is that word know? didn't know Joseph. And if you're not familiar with the book of Genesis, Joseph, the last quarter of the book of Genesis is about Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers. He lived in a dungeon in Egypt for over a decade. And then miraculously, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt and rescues not just Egypt, but all the surrounding nations from a seven-year famine. And so the knowledge of Joseph was likely passed down through the, in that dynasty of Egyptians and many Egyptians probably came to become believers through the work of Joseph. And they knew not only Joseph, but they knew God. And now all of a sudden there's a new dynasty that's in place and probably has lost some of the records of the former dynasty. They probably burned them. They don't want any record. This is a new dynasty. And so they don't know Joseph, and they don't know his God. And so there needs to be a new Joseph to come and show them who God is. Of course, Exodus is about the Moses. Moses is the new, the new Joseph who will come and will speak with Pharaoh and, and, and tell Pharaoh who, who God is. But of course, Moses will also die. And the whole Bible is, is telling these stories about these saviors who will come and reveal who God is, and they die, and then a new savior will come. And each of these stories is anticipating the day when God himself would come and be the one who would show us who he is, the knowledge who he is. And this is who Jesus Christ is. He's the greater Joseph. He's the greater Moses. He is God himself who has come to us and said, this is who I am. Know me. If you want to know God, you have to look at Jesus. And if you're here and you would say, I don't think I know God, uh, maybe you would say, you're on a mission, a journey. I want to find God. I'm going to look for him. He's invisible. I don't know much about him. I'm hunting for him. I'm here to tell you that you have it backwards. You can't be on a mission to find God because God is not the lost one. We're the lost ones. We're not on a mission to find him. He is on a mission to find us. And that's why you are here today. Because he has bid you to be here. And if that's you and you sense God is on a mission to find me, God is hunting me down, he's looking, you know, that might be scary to think, what, he's watching me, he knows me, he's been following me, he's been putting people in my life. And if that's intimidating, if that's fearful, then the answer is yes, of course. If you were to encounter and to meet God, would you expect anything else but fear, intimidation, wonder, awe, mystery, of course, all those things. But when you look at Jesus, you find that the God who is on a mission to find us is good and gentle and patient and wise and generous. He's gracious. He's forgiving. And this is the mission, the mission to the children, the mission to the nations, to know God through Jesus, the strange king of the world who conquers by becoming a servant and dying and who is also the Savior, who is God himself. This story, God bringing blessing to the world through death and resurrection, that's the story we're a part of. That's the story that's formed this community. And this is a story we're going to read about deeply as uh, over the next months we behold and get to know our God through the book of Exodus. Let's pray together.